0: We're going to turn our attention towards uh, the Bible book of Romans and look at a verse as the kids kind of unpack this idea of a Christmas miracle, and they shared the gospel story really as a setup for this, the way that God has chosen to reveal himself to us this Christmas, and it truly is a miraculous message. We've been covering in this Christmas series, Miracles. And last week, we looked at the miracle of the message in that Jesus Christ is the living word. And this week, we want to briefly just unpack how God uses this miraculous method in, in choosing to save us in this plan of redemption. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans 11. It'll be up on the screen. I'm going to read one verse. This is what Romans 11:33 says. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. As always, I want to invite you to pray, and pray to, and just praise God. Thank him for these little ones that he's gifted us, our church, and blessed us with, and just pray that they would know the hope of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word for this season where we can focus and celebrate the birth of Christ and all that it means. And Father, I pray that you would keep us from focusing on other things, from materialism in a culture that's full of distraction. Father, we, we pray that we could fix our eyes on the true meaning of this season. Father, we thank you for these little ones that recited your word and rejoiced in song over you, that they would grow in the knowledge of the Lord, that they would grow hearing truth, that they would be grounded in it. Father, they are so innocent, and yet the world will try to deceive them and and teach them things that are not of you. And so, Father, protect them. Give us wisdom as parents. Give us wisdom as a church family to shepherd them well. And, Father, now as we turn towards your word, that you would speak to our hearts and apply a truth for us this day, that we might live to follow you in, in trust and obedience. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. So I read this the other day, and I don't know if it's true of you, but one of the mysteries that fascinated me as a young child who believed in Santa Claus was that, wondering how it was possible for Santa to deliver all the toys to all the girls and boys around the world in one night. And so I read this, it's really quite mind-boggling when you think about it, but thanks to the Office of Science at the U.S. Department of Energy, we have an answer to that little problem. According to the Population Reference Bureau, about 378 million people celebrate Christmas worldwide, and an average of 3.5, that .5 child, I don't know what that looks like, but that's 91.8 million homes for Santa to visit. Thanks to the rotation of the earth, listen to this, starting at the international date line, moving from east to west, crossing different time zones, theory is that Santa has not just 10 hours of night to deliver presents, but actually 34 hours in all. That should help. Scientists speculate that Santa accomplishes this task by flying his magic reindeer at close to the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. If his sleigh travels at 99% of the speed of light, Santa could cover the required 76 million miles in less than seven minutes. You're in awe leaving him the rest of the 34 hours to polish off the cookies and milk the children have left for them on the kitchen tables. It also explains why Santa has never seemed to age. From year to year, he retains that cherub face and round belly that jiggles like a bowl full of jelly. The fact is that for objects traveling to or at close to the speed of light, time actually slows down. So the more packages Santa delivers, the more he'll travel and the more he'll remain the same, carrying on the Christmas tradition for generations of children to come. It's a Christmas miracle. I can tell from the look on your faces, you're wondering what does this have to do with the Christmas story? Maybe you think this method is completely ridiculous. And with that, most of you are thinking, I don't know where you're going with this, but I really appreciate you asking, what does this method have to do with the Christmas story? You see, part of the miracle of the method God chose in this is just beyond our comprehension, just about as hard to understand as what I just read about Santa traveling the globe. When you look at Romans 11.33, And I picked this text based on what God has done in the way that he has done it. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable his ways. Paul begins this doxology of praise to God, focusing on the greatness of God and absolutely how glorious he is. His riches, his wisdom, his knowledge are beyond measure. God's methods are beyond our understanding. In fact, that's what inscrutable means, like impossible to understand. We could just not wrap our minds around this truth. And honestly, when you think about God's methods throughout history and particularly human redemption, it's hard to understand, as hard as it is to understand how Santa could possibly deliver all these toys around the globe. It just blows our mind. How did God do it? Why did God do it this way? And God's methods are not, in our own lives as well, easy to get our minds around. Romans chapters 9 through 11 in this text that we read are some of the most difficult chapters in the scriptures to understand. Really hard truths in these scriptures. And the subject of these chapters is God's incredible plan to somehow orchestrate a plan, a way to save both Jews and Gentiles through Jesus Christ. And that part sounds simple enough, but if you read it, Paul is wrestling with how the Jews could be God's chosen people and yet find themselves so out of favor with God because of unbelief. Paul is trying to wrestle through this as he writes this text, and God's methods here to bring about salvation are super confusing to him. In fact, it's written there a verse earlier that the Jewish people have been consigned to disobedience so that God would have mercy on them. God's method. God's method. We would think it would be the other way around, that they would be consigned for obedience, but God chose for them to be disobedient so that he could display his mercy on them because God's methods are strange. Think about this. Think about the Christmas story, the family, Joseph, an unsuspecting carpenter, a simple man, we read in Matthew 1, 20 and 21 about that, but as he considered these things, Joseph, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. Joseph gets met by an angel and says, yeah, I know you know she's pregnant now, but this is what I'm gonna do through this. Think about Mary. She wasn't even married yet in Luke 1:30. The angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive and your woman bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." We like glamorize these Christmas Bible story characters but they're real people who God chose to reveal himself through in this way. Think about the place in Micah 5, 2, 3, you learn about Bethlehem. He will be, but you, O Bethlehem, Epithet, who are you too little to be among the clans of Judah, from who you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. God chose the smallest of places to bring forth the deliverer, the setting, the manger, animals in a stable, a cold winter night. Almost without fail, God chooses the weak things of this world. Look at 1 Corinthians 27 through 29. But God chose, this is his method, what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is the low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. His approach is different than any of us would guess. He uses these methods that are beyond our comprehension. And it's often very counterintuitive to what you and I would think. Think of all the people that God used in the Bible to bring about his plan of redemption. Noah, the crazy man that was told to build an ark. Abraham, an old, old man who didn't have a son. Jacob, who was a liar and a cheater. Look what God did through him. Joseph, disregarded by his brothers. You think your life is rough? He was left for dead thrown in a well, sold into slavery in Egypt. And God used him to bring salvation and redemption to a whole nation of people through that famine. Moses, he was born a Hebrew, ditched in a river, couldn't speak. God used him to lead a nation through the toughest days imaginable. And David, if you remember the story of how David was picked, he was gone down the line, he wasn't even present. All the brothers, the other ones that should be king. And do you have another son? Yeah, he's out in the field, this little shepherd boy, David, chosen to be king. On the list goes. God chooses the weak and foolish things of the world. You see, God's methods haven't changed. As unbelievable as it may sound and incredible as it may seem, God uses ordinary, regular people to accomplish great things in his kingdom, many of which sit in this room. And he does it in unimaginable ways and methods so that no man could boast. You see, I acknowledge that For many of us, likely most of us in this room, our lives have not gone and are likely even now not going like you planned they would go. I think we can all relate to that. It is certainly not the way you or I would have written our life story. I'm with you in this. I didn't plan on much that has happened in my own life. In fact, just reflecting on that this week, and I'll let you kind of think about your own story as I unpack mine, as I journey back, I'm looking back and I'm in a career that I never thought I would be in. I didn't go to Bible college. I never intended to be a pastor. I had no intent towards that. You remember what I thought I'd be doing? There were two things. Do you remember? Second base for the Cubs or art teacher. You guys pay attention to words that I say. I didn't set out to be a pastor. I did intend to get married, and I thought I would have kids, but I never intended that God would bring Carrie into my life. In fact, if I'm being perfectly honest, I thought I would end up with someone else. I had different plans. I didn't know the method God would choose. I guessed I would wind up differently than God had appointed her to be at the school where I was, which I hadn't planned on going to. I thought I would have kids, but I never would have dreamed that I thought one of them would have the life like Josiah's had the last six years. I'm living in a place where I never, as an Illinois boy, thought I'd ever be consigned to. I'm living in this state. God bless Wisconsin. God's methods are certainly different than mine. It's just not the story that I would have written for myself. I had that story written, and I realize that some of you know that. You're going through some weird, tough things in your life that you just didn't plan on. So you wish it was different. And I find that there are two responses to when we find ourselves in that position. One is that we can either whine about it and wail and get mad at God for the method that he's chosen in our life, or we can do as we ought to do, is worship and wonder at God, at what he is doing If you look to Romans 11.33 again, you notice after that follows these two verses. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? God uses these unusual methods in our life for our good and for his glory. And Paul picks three questions from the Old Testament to prove his point. From Isaiah 40.13, he asks, for who has known the mind of the Lord? The obvious answer is no one. We can only know what he has chosen to reveal in his word. Deuteronomy 29, 29, one of my favorite verses in the scriptures, it says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. God shows to us part of his wonderful ways, and we can be thankful to God for revealing himself, but many times, if we're honest, we just don't understand what God is doing in our lives. But what we can do is bow in wonder and awe. God is the transcendent one. He's beyond us. Again, Paul asks a second question, or who has become his counselor? Maybe you've asked that. Again, the answer is no one. Have you ever thought if you were God, you would do things differently? We come to the scriptures, and there's hard truths, and we wrestle with them. We're not quite sure how to understand that. Have you ever thought about like, well, why did God choose this way? Why would he do it differently? On most of life's happenings, it's as if we would wish that the Lord would consult with us. Man, I really asked, I really wished that God would have asked me about this before he brought it into my life. Think about that. I wish he would have asked me if I wanted to be a pastor in a small town in frigid Wisconsin. And and then I wish he would have asked me if he would like me to struggle through the emotional and trying pain of having a child with special needs. I really wish he would have asked me about that. If I was honest, I would have said no. I, I got different plans. I don't want to do that. You see, God is sufficient in himself. He doesn't need advice from me or from you on how to run the world, the universe. Most of the time, I can't even do a good job of running my own house. God doesn't need our help. It's laughable to think that anyone would presume that we, and we do it all the time, that we would presume to be God's teacher. Is there anything God doesn't know? Third question asked by Paul is a lesson that we found from the book of Job when he asks or who has first given to him that and it shall be repaid to him? Answer? No one. Have you ever thought that God somehow owes you something? Have you ever thought that in your life, that somehow you are owed? And maybe it's subtle. Maybe you would never say it that blatantly. I've never really felt like God owes me, but maybe with your life, the way that you respond, you get a little irritated that this particular method's being used by God, and you get a little bit, God, you just you owe me better than this. You see, Elihu, one of Job's supposed friends, was wrong in his assessment of Job, but right in his understanding of God when he said in verse forty-one, eleven, which is where the quote comes from: "Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole of heaven is mine." We can't give to God anything that's not already His. God doesn't owe us anything. In fact, we owe Him everything. We could summarize all of Romans nine through 11 by saying this, God saves those he is under no obligation to save. And you need to think about that when you hear the message of salvation. And for many of us that have experienced the true salvation in Christ, he owes nothing to us. In fact, we could summarize it different. He saves us regardless of us. He's under no obligation to do that. And part of the miracle of the method in Christmas is that God is at work and was at work through the redemption of his son in ways that we do not fully and comprehend or understand. In fact, John Piper has said it this way about our lives. God is doing about 10,000 things in the background of your lives, and you maybe see two or three of them. Think about that. He is choosing to reveal himself in this strange way, and you don't understand it, and he's doing 10,000 things in the background of your life, and you get to see just a small portion, if that, of what he's doing. In the same way that we could have written the script differently concerning the redemption of mankind, we'd also write the script differently for our own redemption. We'd write the script so that God would reward us for our goodness. He would repay us for our fidelity. But God does not do that all the time. Instead of verse 32, for God has committed them all to disobedience that they might have mercy on them all. God sent his son to save us because we were disobedient sinners. The kids unpacked that in this message. God had mercy on us, not because we deserved it, but because it was what Christ—it was his will that Christ should pay the price for it. That ought to change our perspective in life a little bit. But even after that, as we begin this spiritual journey through faith in Christ, we would write the script so that we would never struggle with sin. We would love and serve Christ faithfully. We wouldn't have any problems when we belong to God and his family. Life would be this heavenly bliss until he returns. But the truth is, Life is not like that on this earth. It's just not. We experience problems, pains, pressures. We experience struggles, the temptation of sin. We experience temptation, failures, all of this stuff. And we take often, many of us can relate to this, we take like two steps forward maybe in our spiritual life and then three steps back. And we're always constantly struggling with the weight of this world. And it's not the way we would write the script. But then God speaks to us what we read from our scripture reading this morning in Isaiah 55. You see his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His methods are not our methods. Think about what it meant for Mary and Joseph to be the parents of God's son. In Luke 2:19 it tells us that after Jesus was born, Mary pondered these things and treasured them in her heart. And I have to think that Mary just wondered, God, why? Why would you choose me? Why would you choose this way? She was the one delivering in the manger scene, thinking, God, could you have provided something a little more cozy for us? Think about all these things and the way that that happened, the way that we reflect back on that story. And Mary ponders these things, and I'm sure she doesn't understand them all, but she treasures them in her heart. Mary and Joseph could not have imagined all that they would have to go through in their life. They had to endure shame, accusation, embarrassment, ridicule. They had to flee to a foreign country. Life for them certainly wasn't easy. Eventually, Mary would have to watch as her son grew and was rejected by his own people and crucified. I can't answer all of your questions about your life today as to why certain things have happened in your life the way they have. And I meet with plenty of people that want me to tell them why. Why is this happening? I can't give you answers, easy ones, to complex questions that's beyond our logic. I don't have God completely figured out and all wrapped up in a brightly colored box with a bow on it. Because God is much bigger than my mind can comprehend. So when I meet with many of you that are struggling through something, and you say, just tell me why. I just, I have no idea why God has chosen this. But the miracle of the method is that we are left to wonder at the fact that God works in ways that we just don't understand. We're forced to trust that God is good. And that's the part of the mystery and the miracle of Christmas. What I can tell you, though, is God's ways are higher. His thoughts are beyond ours. If you read past that famous text in Isaiah, in 10 and 11, if you continue on, you learn that rain and snow, they fall with purpose. They bring forth growth. Many of us aren't thinking of spring right now as we look outside in these conditions, but rain and snow don't return there. They're for the earth. We know that God's word goes out, but it does not return empty. It has purpose when God speaks your days into existence, when he speaks all of these days, when he speaks these next coming days. And for some of us, the holidays, Christmas time is really hard. When he speaks these things into existence, he has purpose, even the difficult ones. When you just have the most difficult day you've ever had, when you get the news that you didn't want to receive, he has purpose in those things, in those methods. And it's for his ultimate glory and for our ultimate good. When the angels got orders from God to go and visit with Mary and Joseph, you think they did a double take on that one? Wait, this is who? You're going to do it this way? You think when Jesus found himself in the garden, bleeding, sweat, drops of blood out, you think he didn't question, was this the only way? We know from scripture he did. You think when you were born and you grew and you had a childhood, And you dealt with all that you had to deal with. Many of us have different pasts in this room. And you wonder today, why was I born this way? Why do I feel this way? Why do I look this way? Why do I struggle with this? Why, 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 why? I'm sure there's questions in your life about God's methods. But you must know that God promises it for good. He loves and he has purpose You can either whine or wail and shake your fist at God and be angry with him that will leave you nothing but the coldness of your own heart and bitterness. Or you can trust him as hard as it would be and say, even so, it is well with my soul. Oh, what a wonderful God. How great are his riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his methods. Friends, we need to continue to trust and hope in God. Even though you don't completely understand all of God's method in your life, you need to continue to follow him and look for the small joys. The miracle of the method is that God uses ordinary people like you and I to accomplish great things in his kingdom. And as I watch, I always do this when I watch these little kids. And sometimes I do it when I come in for Awana and I watch these little kids and I just, sometimes I tell my wife, what are they going to be? What are they going to grow up and do? I have no idea what this young generation of young people, what God is going to do through their lives. At first take, many of them don't look like they're going far, right? But God will do great and unimaginable things, and some of them won't be easy things. He'll ask of them big things, and some of them will be forced to trust him, or they'll just run away from him. Think about that in your own life. forced to choose at times to trust in him, To worship and wonder. And that is the natural response. It should be for us, all of us, at Christmas. That should be our natural response, to worship and wonder at the miracle of God's method at Christmas. It's no wonder that Paul shows us what worship consists of in the next verse, the very next verse in Romans, in chapter 12. You see, worship is more than singing some songs or showing up to church every once in a while. Worship is giving ourselves to God because He alone is worthy. Look at Romans 12.1. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, in light of God's judgments and ways being inscrutable, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I wonder, as you look at the method that God chose at Christmas and as you look at the method God has chosen in your life, would you turn to Jesus Christ and wonder at what God could do through his Son, through your life, to offer you salvation and redemption and to use you wherever you are with whatever past you've had, whatever method God has chosen, would you wonder and worship at that this season? Let's pray. Father, we come before you in great praise that you are a God who uses so very different methods than we would choose in our life. And Father, you have worked miracles over the history of the world, in redeeming people, of using people that would never have been picked, you truly used the foolish things and the weak things of this world to shame the wise, to accomplish your purpose, so that everyone would say, God, that had to be from you. Father, I know many of the people in this room come from different backgrounds, very hard ones, tragic ones, lives of addiction, lives of loneliness, lives of depression. And Father, time and time again, I watch you work a miracle in redeeming lives, turning hearts towards your Son, of taking off scales from people's eyes that were once blind and opening them to the gospel so that that, that all of us would be forced to say, God, this is only from you. Father, I pray that you would remind us this day that your methods are not for us to know all the time. Father, that we would know this day that whatever we're going through in life, that you have a plan and purpose. Father, I pray that you would protect us from the bitterness of whining and complaining about our life and shaking our fist at you. But that all of us would bow humbly before you, wondering and just worshiping you for what you've done at Christmas, what you've done for many of us. And Father, again, I pray There is one in this room who has never come to Jesus Christ for salvation. That they would respond to what Sean shared at the end. Would we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord? Would we turn towards a Savior this Christmas and worship him in spirit and truth? Would we take you at your word for all that you're choosing to do in our lives, many of which we don't understand, that we would turn to you and trust you and submit to you, Father, would you grab a hold of our hearts in a powerful way, showing us again that you are the God of hope, of light, and truly a God of miracles. So Father, as we enjoy this day, as we ponder these things, may we just give our lives to you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, for this truly is our act of spiritual worship. Father, I thank you for this church family. Thank you for all that are present here today that we might just enjoy fellowship, might celebrate what you have done at the cross by the giving of your son. And we pray all these things in the wonderful and saving name of Jesus, our Savior. And all God's people said,